Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist at PLSN, LD at Large. I hope you guys are all reading the back page first and then going through the entire magazine. I'm here today with lighting designer, director for 21 Pilots. Thank you so much for coming and uh, spending some time with me, Shap. Yeah, man. Uh, it's uh, great to be here. Uh, so I'm, I've always known you as Shap. It was actually just recently that I found out that your name was Tyler. How did you how did you get that nickname to start off with? Yeah, it's actually a, a funny story. The first day I ever uh, met the band, because uh, I started with them back when everyone was on one bus. And um, I walked up to Tyler, the lead singer of 21 Pilots, Tyler Joseph. And uh, I stuck my hand out and he stuck his hand out. And we both said at the exact same time, hi, my name's Tyler. And he looks, he turns around and looks at Josh Dunn, who's the drummer, uh, just behind me and, um, says, uh, he says, uh, this isn't going to (laughs) work. And, um, and he goes, I need a nickname. Give me a nickname right now. And, uh, I just, uh, I just got out of college and everyone called me Shap and I was like, well, everyone calls me Shap. And he goes, Shap it is. And from then on, uh, I've never on the road been called Tyler other than a few times. And um, Tyler's definitely gone out of his way to let it make sure everyone knows, like, don't call him that. So and there's actually a serious <laughs> uh, there's actually a serious reason why is because, um, you know, Tyler is um, he is one of the most creative people I know on, on such a broad spectrum of things. And, um, I'm also, not only do I design the show, um, uh, with, with, uh, someone else, his name's Daniel Schlesinger. Um, but also, uh, I am the lighting director for it. I'm calling, and I'm also the show director. So I'm calling all the lift moves, spot cues and everything during the show as well. So, um, I'm a very central point nerve system, as you want to say, for our show. And so a lot of people are always like, you know, once we finish a song in rehearsals, people are asking Tyler stuff and people are asking me stuff. Well, uh, automation person, uh, once made the mistake of yelling Tyler to me and Tyler's like completely lost his trance. It's like, wait, what's going on? Am I supposed to, because he's like just screaming my name across his thing, the, the room while Tyler Joseph was trying to have a conversation. It just totally like, kind of mess things up. And I mean, if you've ever been in a rehearsal, that's, you know, all these moving parts, you know, you're trying to get, you know, you do a song, you try to get through it, 
fix what you want to fix and then run it again. And it's just like, it was like a huge break of concentration. So that was like the, the biggest moment there of like, Hey, no, this, this is really just a joke. It's like super important. So, um, I just kind of accepted the name and gone with that through the whole industry for myself. Yeah. Being a Chris, I've always had that. I have, I run into that problem often. That just, uh, do you mean lighting, Chris, audio, Chris, automation, yeah. Chris, <laughs> which Chris do you mean? <laughs> so yeah, I've always been a huge proponent of nicknames and stuff. And it's, it's funny that I don't have a nickname myself, but uh, I really should. But uh, unfortunately that's one of those things that you and I, we don't really get to decide. No, no one does. Somebody else decides yeah. it and it either sticks or it doesn't. And there's nothing we can really. Absolutely. Know, the, the harder we try and force our nickname, the the worse it turns out for us. Yeah, I mean, we have a we have a stage manager that Tyler did the same exact thing to. He he walked up to him and he said, "You know, hi, my name's Tyler. What's your name?" The guy said, "My name's Sam," and uh, he goes, "I don't like that." He's like, "We need you a nickname." He's like, "What's a nickname you've had before?" And then I don't know this movie, but he told me that he saw a movie where some kid's nickname was Fish. So he's like, "Well, sometimes people call me Fish." Like he was trying to be funny, and that guy's been Fish for like. 10 years now <laughs> he's, he's even in my phone as fish so i mean it's, it's the thing so how did you get hooked up with 21 pilots there's uh they're kind of a meteoric rise band in the last few years yeah i mean so you know i got i went i have a degree in video production uh from middle tennessee state university and uh my dad worked for espn and my uncles worked at the the news stations and for the Opry and did all kinds of stuff. So video ran in my family and I thought that's what I was going to do. And, you know, I got out of, got out of college and realized that there, there's just no jobs because technology was, you know, you, you can do a news program with three people with a green screen because, you know, 40 years ago it took 40. So, um, I was trying to find something to do and I ended up getting a job uh, working in the uh, rental shop, like as a picker at VER at the time in Nashville and uh, eventually worked into the TV show Nashville. And um, they, you know, it was just kind of the dream job of what probably everyone who gets in a rental shop wants to do. They want to get out on the tour. And uh, at the time the Nashville VER shop was pretty small and um, 21 pilots came through, although I didn't, I didn't know anything about them. And, um, they're like, Hey, we got this small band. And I was just an led guy, by the way, I didn't know anything about lighting. We got this small band coming through. Um, you know, they were going to do a tour. They've never toured with gear before. So I think it's a great opportunity for you to tour with them. And, um, I was like, okay. Uh, they're like, but you got to learn lighting. And I'm like, oh man, lighting's heavy. And they're like, yeah, you gotta, you can't just do LED. You, uh, you gotta, you know, I was doing servers too. Um, but they're like, you gotta learn why. And let me tell you, we, that the thing then, and it's always been for 21 pilots. It's a great theme. It's we love to pack 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. And we had so much stuff in this trailer. I mean, I'm telling you, if it was not perfect in this band trailer, I mean, it was crazy. It was enough to fill a 60 foot stage. It's unbelievable. And it was just me on the show. And the LD was like a white glove at the time. He was like a friend of the band. Everyone was a friend of the band, except me. And um, <laughs> now none of those people are around, not one of them. And I am now, you know, 
one of the designer guys. You know, I mean, I guess you could say I have a seat at the table in the creative. So there is one more guy, one guy that's still around. Uh, his name is Mark Eshelman. He's also one of the creatives. Uh, but um, he doesn't, he tours with us, but he's not really in the touring crew. He does like all the social media and uh, branding stuff. So That is uh, the epitome of a, a climb your way to the seat that you want to be in. You, yeah. You, yeah, I got, like, you, you had a vision. You're like, no, I can. Well, the hardest, did you fall into it or did you, was that your end goal in the first place? Well, I've always been the type of person to like want to go be the next thing. So, you know, my dad always taught me that if you want to, if you want to move up anywhere in life, don't do that. The guy above you's job, do the guy above his, him's job, like learn that. And he said, because it's going to filter down his, and, and, you know, a big thing that drives me crazy is when I meet people who are over other departments that don't know anything about that department. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm a rigger, but as we were moving through those rooms, I became a rigger for a couple of tours when I was, had to hang 10 points, you know what I mean? And had to learn to rap and all that stuff. And I became a stage manager at one point and I, I built decks and I, I, I learned all that stuff at some point in time. You know what I mean? Um, so there's, you know, you have those designers out there that went to school to be designers, not, not a knock on them or anything, but it's just, you know, they don't, I don't think they, they, some of them don't have like the, the, the frontline stuff that you need to, you really should know, like, you know, Hey, it's, it's just like you, when you read it in a book, you know, in your textbook, it's definitely not the same in real world, you know? Sorry, that, uh, you may have heard that, my dog. It gives you that base level knowledge of what everybody's doing so that when you ask somebody to do, to make a change or to uh, to shift something, you know what that entails and how long it's going to take. Right. And you know, because every department affects every other department. So you know that if you ask video to to do something, okay, well, what did that just do to the, you know, uh, lighting and how does that change rigging? And, you know, it, it's, you know, you move video two feet to the left. Okay. Well, did you just run it into your, your lighting truss? Okay. Well, can it be rigged differently up and down instead of left to right to get out of the way or whatever, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. if you don't know that type of stuff from in the room, um, there's a lot of reasons why guys make these wonderful drawings and they just don't, they just become nightmares to tour, you know? <laughs> it definitely gives so. you an, a leg up when somebody tries to convince you on the video side that something can't be done. And you're like, no, you can do that. I'm positive you can do that. That is definitely one of my favorite things to do when someone who's never met me before comes and tells me, you know, oh, well, we can't do X or whatever. I, hey, I, we, we dropped two panels off of the left-hand side and we can't shift it over. I'm like, oh, yes, yes you can. can. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. Can. <laughs> and uh, my favorite one is when they go, hey, um, uh, we're doing, so we're set up for landscape and we have portrait walls. Okay. And they'll be like, well, you know, can we ask, you know, can we change that or whatever? Like, no. And then I'm like, well, why not? And I'm like, just tell the cameras to shoot better. You know what I mean? Like, just... Just know, take a piece of tape, put it, put it on your, their viewfinder on the back end. So they know where the shot is instead of redoing it. You know, it's just, 
I mean, that's the stuff I used to do back in the day when I had to shoot portrait. And I don't know why it's, you know, technology hadn't changed that much. So, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people but, have different paths to get to the seat that you're in right now. And some people get there the, the quick and easy way, but it's sure, it sure sounds like you, you worked your way into that seat. The, the hardest thing I ever had. To, well, I, so I, I started this thinking that I would become the video director because that's what I went to school for. Mm-hmm. And the hardest thing I had to do was, well, we, so the, the LD at the time, uh, he's, he didn't want to be the LD anymore. He wanted to go do something else for the band. And, uh, uh, he started with the band very early. So, you know, he had, um, and he was, he's very good. He's, he's actually the guy I was talking about earlier named Mark Eshelman. He, he's went into the branding side and, and stuff. And, um, um, they were like, Hey, do you want to be the LD? I had never LD'd anything in my life. And I go, sure, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> Why not? And I just thought that was like the next step up to being the video director. Like, okay, I'm just going to keep moving up. Cause if someone was to come in over me, that could, that could hurt my chances. And you know, why not? I, I had to learn the console, the networking, the lighting, the, how it talked to the server. I had to learn everything. I knew all the back end. I just needed to press the button on time. And I, I've been a drummer for, at that time, for about 15 years. So I was like, I know I can do that. So um, my first tour as LDing, uh, Sooner Ruthier uh, and Daniel Schlesinger were programming it. Um, I, I couldn't tell you who designed it. I'm not sure. Um, but um I walked into the first show. I, it was a crazy programming session. I walked to the first show. I'd never seen two of the songs, <laughs> but I mean, I had to, had to do it regardless. And, uh, that was, there's a lot of just come, come to Jesus moments in, you know, my career where you, it's just sink or swim. Um, and then we went to add crew because we went from two trucks, one tour to eight trucks. And, um, that was the first show I had a hand at designing. and they're like, we need a video director. And the way our camp is designed, you know, the video director reports to me. And, um, you know, I just couldn't, A, I, did, I, I didn't, I, I'd fallen in love with the creative of the band and what it stood for and the music. And I just, I, I wanted the control that I have now to be able to present the art that I see and um, I went and hired a guy that I actually went to school with that we worked really well with. But that was that was a really hard decision to, because I based. I mean, my I've been holding a camera since I was twelve, so I mean, I've been I based you know twenty years of my life to do that job, and then I just gave it up within a couple of weeks. You know, wow, so it was crazy. That's that's not a complete left turn, but that is uh, definitely a shift in focus. But uh, it sounds like you get to still play with both being out uh, where you're sitting. Yeah. And that was the other thing. It's like, you know, I definitely have a hand in it. But the guy that we got, his name is Adam Peck. He's phenomenal. Um, He's so good. Uh, He was great in college. And um, he was my technical director when I used to direct things when we did sports and stuff in college. And he was just really good. And uh, I'm sure you you watched one of the videos that I sent you over over the show. And... uh, it shows just some of the, some of the angles and stuff. It's just phenomenal. So what happened there was I had seen so many photos in PLSN of the show that I had to go watch at least one of the videos. And luckily uh, somebody posted the entire 
I believe it was in Amsterdam at the Zigodome. Yeah. I think it was the trench tour that was just so amazing. You guys did a really great job. Well, the coolest part is uh, a fan did that one and they actually captured the lighting, <laughs> which is great. Normally when you watch a fan video, it's all just like two inches away from the singer's nose or whatever, you know, you can't see any of the lighting. It looks like, a, a, you know, um, like a, uh, and uh, music MTV music award shot where it's like, you spend all this time on the way everything looks and, you know, they take a, a you know, a bus shot the whole time <laughs> mm-hmm. and you see the one light just run through the background or whatever. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always get frustrated with the people that are just sitting there and watching the entire show through their camera until I find myself looking for video footage of the, the whole show. And then, and then I'm always thankful that that person did that for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, so uh, I have questions from the show. Like, number one, uh, what was the longest record for The Quiet Game? The, long, <laughs> the longest record for The Quiet... I actually forgot that was we did that then. Uh, the longest record, I think, was like four or five seconds in Poland, um, <laughs> which they all... The whole... I mean, there's probably... Tw- 20,000 kids in the, cause in Europe, I mean, I know you've, you've toured as well in Europe, they're like laws in some countries are way less strict than others. Like in Russia, I mean, they will fill that floor if there's a spot to put a body, but in Germany, you know, you have to have 15 foot fire lanes and stuff. Um, but in Poland, it's very like Russia. I mean, there was like no fire lanes and, and we were in this big, really kind of circled, circled room almost. And, uh, the the pit was huge and I don't know how they did it, but they like all banded together and the whole room knew not to say anything. I I don't like, there was this thing that going around, they had all these flyers, like don't screw up the quiet quiet game. Cause there's always like, there's always like you be quiet. And then someone just like screams like at the top of the lungs. They want to be that guy, but they they managed to go five seconds and I don't, I know five seconds doesn't sound like a long time, but that is eternity for 20,000 people to be quiet. So anybody listening, if you haven't seen the show yet, uh, about halfway through the concert, uh, Tyler comes on and he does a competition to see, and I would imagine that you've even got it synced to, to video to actually do the, to measure the amount of time but he challenges the audience to see how long they can be quiet. And from the time he says, go the, the clock on the video wall starts. And the one that I watched, I think they made it 0. 0.03 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that actually happened a lot and we kept trying to figure out ways to like make it longer. Like, okay, let's, we're like, let's start the clock just a little bit earlier uh, before we put it up there. Or then we did things where uh, we actually, other than Poland, we started getting some a lot better numbers. I think Poland was actually seven seconds. We got a lot better numbers within like three and four seconds when we didn't show them the clock. Um, something about the clock made people yell. I don't know why, but when we <laughs> when we when we didn't show them the clock and then faded it up with the finished time. Um, that worked a lot better, but who knows? So, so in this case, the one that I watched, it was a guy named Dylan who was the first one to yell. And uh, Tyler just goes, everybody hates you, Dylan. 
<laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That sounds like him. <laughs> at uh, at point zero three seconds, he was really trying to break a record, and uh, Dylan was the the nut job that decided to yell uh, "We love you" or something dumb. And, and then I think the entire crowd are like, "Thanks a lot, Dylan." <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a lot of bummed people. Amsterdam is a was a pretty big market for us, so. So beyond that, some of the things I'd never seen before was the the car. Obviously, the it's just a car burning on stage, which is just a, a great set piece. How did that How did that come to be? Yeah, so that um, that one <laughs> that one's actually really funny. We were in uh, creative design meetings uh, with Tyler and uh, a lot of other people that uh, he has around him. Um, and we were talking about different ideas and stuff. And uh, the car is actually in the uh, Heavy Dirty Soul music video. And the car, that's, and that's from Blurry Face album. And so uh, that video starts with the car blowing up and stuff and it ends. Well, the first music video of the Trench album was Jumpsuit. And that starts with the car blown up. And then um, it goes into Levitate, which was the second video released, and then into Nico and the Niners, uh, which um, the car symbolizes the journey uh, through Trench um, and how he got there. So uh, we knew we had to get the car out there and somehow, and we really struggled because Trench was a concept album. We really struggled with the idea of, do we want to put a bunch of branding like, you know, in the trusting and, and stuff? Um, but honestly, um, we had a lot of, they had the storylines and everything figured out for a really long time. Um, but we just kept kind of, as the storyline would evolve, as we release things, I think, um, uh, we kind of changed stuff and we didn't want to commit to anything because, you know, you, you make these drawings six, seven months in advance. So, um, we didn't want to commit to anything that could possibly change. And most of it, it ended up staying the same, but we were just really scared of that. So, um, so in this creative meeting, uh, we we're like, what are we going to do? We need to have something to brand. And Tyler Joseph is like, I mean, we could just burn the car on stage. And I, I look over at him and he said it as a complete joke. Um, and I look over at him and I'm like, I look over at Daniel Schlesinger who was my design partner. And then I look across at the production manager at the time was Daniel Gibson. And I just kind of think to myself like, we could do that. And, and the other side of the table kind of already started to move on. I go, wait a minute, we could do that. You know? And, uh, from there it, it took off. We got two, uh, I think, uh, 98 Oldsmobiles. Um, there's two of them. So they actually flip back and forth. Um, one is better than the other one, but you can't tell the difference. Only I know which one's the better one. Um, I just, you know, it's one of those things. Everyone knows, like if there's one light, that's like a little annoying or something, you know, in your rig, but, um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, one car has like a center post. That's really annoying to me because I do a bunch of blow through stuff on the car. And then one car doesn't have a center post. Um, so that's kind of how you know the difference. Um, but there's 14 cells, flame cells in the car and, um, zero and Reed from Strictly Effects, they made it, uh, both of them. And um, yeah, I mean, it's we have only done one show ever uh, since 
um, we started using the car at the beginning of the trip cycle two years ago uh, to now. Uh, and it was actually just recently in December, we played um, Chicago was Aragon Ballroom and we, we couldn't get it. We couldn't fit it through the door or get it up on the lift because it weighs a million pounds. So. It's a real car. There's a real car. Yeah, it's cut in half. Two, it's an Oldsmobile. It's, it's two, we have two different Oldsmobiles that have been cut. One's actually a 90 and one's a 98, but they're or an 89, I'm sorry. And they're, they're cut in half, and it looks like a space station inside. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> All the piping, and uh, it's insane uh, how it goes together. And it takes, um, I think, like nine propane tanks to run it. So Nice. Uh, the other element of that show that was really interesting is the bridge. That is, that sounds like something that somebody had a very small idea and it got turned into something massive. How did yeah. that come to be? <laughs> so, um, so after our first creative meeting, Daniel and I, uh, Schlesinger, we we walked out and we were like, okay, uh, we weren't really talking production at this just at the very first one, and we walked away and we're like, okay, we we need to have all these ideas and we'd come up with, you know, the car ended up, we ended up like materializing that one. And, um, we were trying to figure out how to get them to B stage. And, uh, we came up with uh, the cool emotion that's at B stage, which is really cool. And then, um, we have, um, um, a couple other elements, uh, like the, uh, the cube carts that are upstage. Those are all 3d mapped and everything, um, which had never been really done before. And, uh, we had squares that come down and move. And that, that's what's special about that is most people have things that blow past each other from automation, but ours was hung directly on top of each other. So I don't know how they did it, but they were telling me, uh, the guys who were programming my automation for me were telling me that they were having to like trick the system because, uh, because we were hanging directly on top of something else that was automated. The automation system kept thinking it was going to uh, conflict and hit each other because no one had really like done that before, like to hung directly over another one and moved both of them. So um, that became, that was definitely like a first as well. Uh, but the bridge specifically, the bridge was just like a random idea to get to B stage. It, honestly, I, we never thought it would make the show. Uh, <laughs> I'm dead serious. We never thought it would make the show. And, um, we showed it to him and we expect him to cut a couple of those things. And he was like, I want all of it. And we're like, okay. So we ended up, you know, that was the first rendition of trench. And now as the tours went on, it definitely changed. The bridge actually left trench on the third tour. We didn't, we stopped doing the bridge, um, because, um, the markets we were playing, uh, were, uh, B and C's and a lot of them couldn't house the bridge with the scoreboards and the low roofing. So we came up with, uh, another idea to basically do, um, have you seen, there's like, I think it's like 19, oh man, uh, it's Eminem at the MTV music awards does uh, slim shady and he comes down the aisle way and there's like a million Slim Shadies that look like Eminem. You, have you seen that? It's like a. I, I feel yeah, like yeah, I remember kinda, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a bunch of people in white shirts, and it's a, and it basically it's a steady cam shot where he's he's singing into the steady cam with the people with the, all the guys the Slim Shadies lookalikes behind him, and he's coming down the aisle and he gets up on the stage and finishes the song. 
So I was like, I saw that and I was like, hey, we could try to do like a, a music award shot in the middle of a concert and it could be cool because we had these huge uh, profile um, um, iMag walls on each side. They're like uh, 26 tall by 20 wide. They're huge. And um, so I was like, yeah, we could totally pull this off. So we got a, uh, a steady camera and we ended up uh, parting the crowd in the middle of the pit, which had never been done before that I know of, <laughs> uh, which was definitely tough as well. If you've ever thought about parting like a pit full of 5,000 people in the center. Um, but we parted them in the center and we ran the Steadicam down from the B stage that met him. And he does the, the walking shot that all the, 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 the blocking he does on the bridge, he kind of does it on the ground. And if you're watching the iMag, it's this really sweet, um, uh, like steady cam shot that looks very similar to the slim shady one. Um, so that was like kind of how that evolved. But, uh, going back to the bridge itself, the bridge, uh, was 85 feet long, which had the ability to take out 20 feet of the section. And then the last 20 feet had a, a bend designed in it. So he could climb up on the ladder on one side and walk down the ramp and jump onto the B stage. And I think there was JDC ones and uh, Roby points on it as well. Uh, but, but honestly, it was just um, GT trussing with some plexiglass on the top and some handrails, but it doesn't, it looks, it looks like it's something custom though, you know? It's so, amazing what we can make look custom with what we have. It just yeah, takes a lot of creativity. It's literally just Tyler GT truss. Some custom, the handrails are custom, but they're designed to go into the um, the leg holes for the GT, and they have like roping on them, and um, and there's just sheets of plexiglass on top of it, and then the GT acts as GT, and it has uh, it holds the lights under it. And when you drop the bridge down, uh, you pull out the handrails, you stick in the, the legs of the GT, and you roll it off. Those are some of my favorite stories when uh, sitting down at the creative table, somebody comes up with an idea, and it just kind of circles the table like, well, clearly we're not going to do that. And then it just yeah. takes one person to put their hand up like, no, we, we could do that. And then it just completely changes the vibe again. We're like, well okay, well, if we're going to do that, let's talk about it. And the next thing you know, it, it becomes reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, the car. So the car is definitely important as the bridge was. Uh, we When we designed the show, we designed the show around what we call moments. So, you know, the car coming on is a moment. The bridge is a moment. Um, seeing the glow motion move for the first time at, out at B stage is a moment hearing the first concussion as a moment um, in the last rendition of Trench, which the one you saw was the second tour. And we did four headline tours of this. Um, the last rendition, we added a, a ton of pyro to the stage. Um, you know, that's a moment to see all the pyro boxes go off. And we try to, when we design the show, we try to slowly amp it up um, as we go. Um, the very first rendition of Trench um, the upstage trusses were actually all nine individual moving trusses. All, all, all there's, you have to look at the plot, but there's, there's nine trusses up there that ends up, uh, at later shows turns into three trusses, but all nine of them can move completely independently of them, each other. And 
they're all automated as opposed are the squares that are in front of them as well that are on top of each other. And then also at the B stage, there was uh, a lighting truss that, that was a square over the B stage and a scrim that came down. And um, the scrim is actually projected on from all four sides and they play inside that with the glow motion inside that. Uh, there's a couple of videos of that and you can definitely find it. Um, but, um, and that's where the PSLN uh, write up, it has shows all the, all the pictures from that. But really, we had to discontinue that version, which it still did one tour, uh, but we had to discontinue it because um, that, that tour was specific to the A markets we were playing on that show. And uh, we were going into rooms after that that just could not hold the mother grid and the weight that we were going. And you look at it uh, for the second tour, which we weren't planning on doing a redesign, but we, we planned on removing it after this. So it was planned out for this rendition to move to a, a, a more um, tourable one after that for the rooms uh, to remove the mother grid and gets down on the weight just because, um, you know, we probably could have re-engineered it, but just carrying all that year round for 10 shows out of the 40 just didn't financially make sense, you know, but we definitely wanted to keep the show together. So one thing that I had to do was figure out how to redesign the looks of the show without it looking like, Oh, we stripped all the money out of it, which, yeah, that's what we were doing, but not because we needed the money. It's because it financially just didn't make sense to carry it for 10 shows versus having it rented for 40 because you still have to pay for the gear, whether it sits in the truck or not. So it was a lot of gear. I mean, we're talking, you know, 20, 20 something automation motors, two mother grids. I mean, it's, it was a lot of gear, uh, probably three trucks worth. And, um, so you, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You were saying that when you started with them, you were talking about one trailer and then by the time the end of the trench tour, you're talking about you can't even fit enough stuff. To, yeah, so we had the, the, even the arena couldn't hold all the stuff that you were bringing. Yeah, How did had, that progression happen? Absolutely. We had, um, so at the first, the beginning of trench, we started, we had 25 trucks. Uh, <laughs> so, so the very first tour I did uh, in 13 with them, 12 or 13, it was a band trailer. And then we went to a band trailer and semi for a little bit. And then we went to, which by the way, the band trailer is just, is just audio gear. The semi is all lighting and video. Uh, Cause we only have, <laughs> okay. we only have two guys. We only have two guys. Right. And the, the gear, I mean, it's a, it's an upright piano, a ukulele uh, because he didn't play bass at the time yet and a drum set. Uh, and then we have the drum set that we put on top of the crowd as well. Right. And, um, so that's it. That's, that's the back line front of house, you know, thing we didn't have, at that time we didn't even have a monitor guy. They did the monitors with iPads and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, the front of house guy like used like an M32 and then we had $2 million worth of production gear <laughs> in a truck. And, uh, it was just me for a long time. And then, uh, we hired another guy, but, um, uh, a tech for me, but uh, so we went from band trailer to one truck, and then band trailer to two trucks, and we stayed at two trucks for a really long time. That's basically that second truck is when I started flying stuff. 
uh, just like a couple of trusses, you know, still I was uh, advancing my downstage, but I was flying like, I think three trusses over the, over the stage. Um, I had, I had hired two guys at that time. And then the next tour we went from, we went from, um, or the next year I should say, cause we did a couple tours that way. The next year we went from two trucks in a van trailer to eight trucks. Uh, and that, it, that was the first time that was like our first arena tour. We did that for a while. And then that was the beginning of blurry face and blurry face scaled from eight trucks to 10 trucks, 10 trucks to 12 trucks and 12 trucks to 15 trucks on its final tour. Was it you driving more and more trucks or was it Daniel or was it Tyler saying, Um, Hey, we need more, we need more. Or was it management? Well, honestly, you know, we tried to design a little bit past the biggest room. So I typically look at like, you know, um, I typically look at the schedule when we were in the club phase, you'd look at the schedule and you look at your biggest room and you look at your smallest room and you, you wanted to design something that's scalable because, uh, to get look big or at least good in the biggest room and still be relevant in the smallest room. But, but you know, your average show is going to be good. And in worst case scenario, you bring in a couple of, you know, if the biggest room is probably in your big market, you bring in a couple of extra things on that show. Um, but our, because of the way tournament pilots blew up, we would go from 7,000 cap rooms to, to when you get out to the uh, Midwest to like 1500 cap rooms. It's like, that's just not realistic to scale. You just, it's, it's because when you think about the rooms, you're, you're talking about in the Midwest, a 30 foot corner stage and a 60 foot stage at like, I don't know. Um, or, or maybe like a 45, 50 foot stage at, uh, uh, the AE center in Pittsburgh or, uh, what's it's an outdoor venue. It's AE something, I think. Um, but it's right, it's right across from Heinz field, but it's, um, it's a pretty de- it's, you know, it's a decent sized stage. It's outdoor. It's, I think it's, uh, it's like 7,000, 8,000 people. And so you really struggle to do that. So, you know, we were constantly going in and out, uh, of that. And, you know, when we had those two trucks, we just kind of carried everything and just kind of went with it. When we went into blurry face, the rooms just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That first one was a, was arena slash shed tour. So everything fit. And then we went into like, everything was like C arenas. And then we went into everything was B arenas. And then the last one was all like straight up a show. So it, the, the rig, the trucks reflected the rooms we were playing. We just kept adding stuff because the rooms kept getting bigger. You know, that is, you should definitely give yourself a huge pat on the back for being able to do that. I've seen a lot of bands that once they get to two trucks, they, they either end up outgrowing their production team and they're like, well, you're kind of a two truck LD and we're looking for a 10 to 15 to 25 truck LD. And for them to be able to have enough, uh, faith and trust in you the that's that's a huge uh credit to your name yeah i mean uh, you know i definitely have to put daniel in on that one as well i mean so when we when we designed the first blurry face we had these carts that had video and lighting put into them and the idea was to take this show and build it so when we designed the first show we actually also designed the last one the full arena one, which not knowing if we'd make it there or not. And then we 
we added, we picked and added the different, and of course it changed a little bit as it went, but we added the elements as it went on until we got all the way out to the, the final, the final show. So three years before we ever did that last tour, we already had designed the beginning and the end of it, of the progression. So you were designing on the road. It's not like you got to take time off for rehearsals, right? Yeah, no. Um, so Daniel actually owns another company called Glow Motion, which uh, I mentioned earlier. There's an element in our show that they they did. Uh, but um, they actually did two Super Bowls. Uh, they, or they actually have done a lot of Super Bowls. But in these two breaks while we were designing this, I did um, Super Bowl the Katy Perry one, I think it was 48, 49. And then, um, before trench, we did the Justin Timberlake one, uh, recent, or I guess that was two years ago. Um, so like it was definitely very, very busy. I mean, um, uh, and that's what I was saying. Uh, you're, you know, basically you're right. You're right. Yeah. We were designing on the road. Um, but I started designing trench, uh, man, like, or I'm sorry, I just started designing, uh, uh, yeah, I would say that. I started designing trench. Um, I started designing trench five days after my last blurry face show. Wow. Which, which was, which was, I, I did it. I think it was 10, 10 and a half months before the first show of trench. I think. No rest for the talented, I guess. <sighs> you know, I, the creative blood was just running. I, I just started making all these different things to, Hey, here's all these ideas that I have. Um, and I would talk to Daniel constantly and eventually the creative from the band would come in and we'd figure out which idea was the best one that fit that creative. And then, and then we went with it. So, I mean, there's definitely drawings that, I mean, I think every designer has drawings that they, um, have made that didn't go anywhere. They're just like saving it for a rainy day when someone wants something close to it and they'll present that and make it a little different. But um, the funniest thing is the three upstage trusses or the, the, the nine, which there's, even though they were nine independent ones, they still stayed in the same formation. That was the only thing that never changed through since day one, five days after board face, those trusses never changed all the way through. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, I guess that's, I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> that sounds like you got it right the first time. You're like, no, that's, that's the, that's the image we're looking for. And we nailed it. And if nobody wants to change it, that means it's, yeah. it's, it's the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So you, it sounds like you're lucky enough that they were on break when this all, when the world changed. So you were, yeah. you were prepared to be down for a little bit. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had just did our last tour of Trench in November. We wrapped it up and did a couple of radio shows in December. And we were planning on being down until actually my first show was supposed to be yesterday. And my second show was supposed to be tomorrow. Um, but uh supposed to be in Vegas and then in Atlanta. And uh, we were just doing mostly festivals this year from uh, what I gathered from my uh, our management. But um it um, it was definitely odd because you know you're sitting here and all this starts coming out in January, and um, in um, excuse me, in um, January and February, you know you're 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 heavily working on shows in March and April, 
heavily and you're trying to get it all down. And so, you know, I'm having all these production calls and we're trying to get it all ready. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get the fixtures I need. I'm, I actually have a whiteboard still up behind me from where I was trying to figure out the clones from the Atlanta show, because that was, um, it was like, it was a headline show, but it was, it's, it was, uh, the, the NCAA final four. So there's like a bunch of, bunch of people on it. Uh, so they didn't really take anyone's rig. They just made their own and, uh, trying to figure all that out. And now it's, I think we're just kind of in limbo because no one really knows what's going to happen. You know, um, you know, I, we have a show in Moscow, our first stadium show in July 12th. And so I'd been making all the drawings for that, uh, last month, uh, in March. And, um, you know, probably, you know, probably put like 20, 20, 25 man hours into making this drawing, you know, for everything. And for this one show, this one stadium show that we're going to do, and it's just, it's going to really suck if we don't do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. July 12th. I'm hoping that's, that's safe. I, uh, I'm not a doctor, uh, or, uh, epidemiologists at all but i believe that you're safe there yeah i hope so i mean the, the reality of it is is when they let us all come back um the question is 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 and it's all going to slowly trickle back but hopefully yeah i mean like you know hopefully it does but um if, yeah, if, that's my best guess is it's going to trickle. I don't believe it's just going to be an opening the floodgates. I believe it's going to be, we're going to let well, that, 10 person events happen and then 50 person events and then 150 and so well, on. The, the question is, is what scale are they going to go by? You know, I think what's really, you know, I, you know, I heard, I was listening to uh, Corey and Alex on one of your other, one of your other podcasts you guys just did. And, and, I mean, I agreed completely with them. It's just, what is the scale and who's going to decide the scale of saying you can do this and you can do that. And who, what's going to happen to the first person who does come back? Who is everyone going to be like, Oh, this is too soon. Are they going to catch a bunch of flack for it? Um, it, you know, what it's just, it's really, there's just so many what ifs to this, that it's, there's really no real way to, to, to nail it down. But what I can say is I do know that, uh, there's plenty of resources now out there for people. Um, I just saw the live nation thing, um, which was kind of odd. They said that they were going to commit $10,000 in the first press release. And then the second press release actually said, no, we're going to commit $5,000 and then do $5,000 or I'm sorry, $5 million. And then, and then, um, and then matched $5 million of donations. And yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. So not $10 million. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, here's the thing when we, when we get back at it, when we do finally get back at it, there's going to be a lot, a lot of decisions to be made from everywhere from the, the bands to the crewing to, to even the people. Do the people want to buy tickets to go? Are they ready? Am I ready? You know, to go and, and do this, even though the government says, Oh, it's clean. It's fine. It's clear. It's in remission. Am I ready to go? And that's going to be really a, a big test. You know, 
all of these AAG and Live Nation are are giving out all this money to help help us people like us in time of need. But I mean, I'm sure they're going to want it back at some point. So <laughs> I, I'm. Yeah, I you. mean. I imagine that the deals for the bands aren't going to be, they're going to be restructured, you know? And what the, what that means is that means pay is probably going to go down for everybody. Um, Cause it just, that's the way it works. So well, yeah, a sold out crowd isn't going to be 20, 30,000 anymore. A sold out crowd is going to be 50 people. A sold out crowd is going to be, you know, for the first while it's going to be a hundred a hundred people. And that's how we're going to have to work it for a while. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think one of the things that's going to be absolutely insane when we finally, when, when the the gates open, the floodgates open is we're going to see, we're going to see crew fly off the shelves. We're going to see gear fly off the shelves and we're going to see rooms fly off the shelves. And just to the point of what Corey and Alex were saying, um, you know, there's only so many rooms and, the NHL's chomping at the bit. The NBA's chomping at the bit. I mean, even for stadiums, the NFL's going to be chomping at the bit. There's going to be an issue where we're, you know, maybe we'll see a bunch of, maybe this is a market for new festivals to come up because people want to make money and everyone wants to make money. And this is a chance for people to make money. But here's the other problem. Where's the money going to come from for the people to go to these shows? Because everyone is, you know, in debt or they're not doing good. I mean, everyone doesn't have all this money laying around. So, you know, I was talking about, um, I was talking to someone about, well, hey, you know, live streaming is going to be like a big deal right now. Like I'm amazed bands aren't trying to, to do a live stream and sell, sell like, oh, you pay 10 bucks and you get to watch a show online or whatever. But the thing is, it's like, not everyone's going to have 10 bucks right now. Mm-hmm. And how long is that going to last? So it's, it's, I, you know, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but, you know, once they start, once they start letting us do shows again, you know, it doesn't mean go out and, you know, buy that new car that you wanted just because, because they're going to have some really tempting offers too. You know, everything is going to be crazy like that. But, um, I just hope that I really hope that every, you know, everyone not only survives the financial burden that this is going to do, but it just, it doesn't last as long as it, it, it seems to, you know? Yeah. So to take it up a little bit, what are you, what are you doing to pass the time? Well, mostly it's been a lot of home improvement and uh, all the things that I told my wife, I didn't have time to do because I was on tour <laughs> or whatever. Um, I, I was hanging hanging shelves yesterday in her uh, bathroom and uh, uh, you know, just kind of doing the stuff like that built, um, built some shelving in the garage, but a lot of it has just been, you know, staying around. Um, so I got married. The story of me getting married is really interesting. We did a show in Madison square gardens. I got on a plane, flew to Hawaii, got married to my wife, stayed there for 10 days and then flew to Reading and Leeds. So, um, you know, this has been one of the longest times I've been home with my wife because she's home too. She's not at work either. So, uh, since we've been married and, um, it's been, it's been awesome. But, um, I think that 
everyone wants to learn new stuff, which uh, I've been working on some CAD stuff in uh, Vectorworks and uh, some uh, MA3D stuff. But um, really, I think a lot of people, because of the, I guess to say home home life that we tend to have as touring guys, we really need to, uh, guys really need to focus on just, just repairing and not, not even uh, repairing is probably not the right word, but like maybe getting a step ahead because when we do go back out, I expect us to be out forever because all these bands are going to want to make all their money back. You know, all the money they lost, all the money that they need to make for that projected year and you know anything after that. So I, I, you know, I just try to spend as much time with my wife and my dogs as I can, because when this is over, I just expect to have to work more than I ever have had to. And yeah, this is a um, great time to tend to our relationships. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the best way to definitely a better way to say it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a better way to say it for sure. But um, I think it's just, you know, just trying to get, get my wife and, you know, uh, my family, like my parents, you know, don't see my parents that often and friends that from college that I, you know, think I've fallen off the face of the earth. Just, you know, stuff like that, you know, um, they're all at home. They're not doing anything, you know, give them a call, you know, just have, have a chat because normally you're either on the bus in a green room or sleeping, you know, uh, or doing the show. So <clears throat> it's just one of those things where, um, you know, you kind of want to get ahead of it because, um, I, I, again, I think, I, I think when we do finally start back up, you know, it's, it's going, it's going, no one's going to have problems finding jobs for a while, you know? Yeah. It's a great way to keep thinking about tomorrow and make sure that, uh, it might be tough right now, but the, the end goal is definitely in sight. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, one thing that really always bothered me is I, I was actually talking to one of my, one of my friends and, you know, he told me, he's like, well, you know, my wife, they both work in the industry. So he lost, you know, all his uh, jobs and his wife lost all her jobs and they're just trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, I happen to know that this guy toured uh, heavily and, and, you know, he made, he made really good money. And I was like, I was like, what happened to all your money, man? And, uh, you know, it's the same guy that drives like a freaking, you know, three-year-old Mercedes Benz and all that stuff. And it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I hate to say that, um, that that's bad or anything. Cause no one saw this coming, but I'm really hoping that it, it, I don't want to say like checks anybody, uh, cause I want them to come out. All right. But I really hope that this exercise from a financial standpoint really puts a lot of people kind of the Dave Ramsey thing puts a lot of people in places to where, um, they can just live so much healthier and, um, you know, you know, pay for retirements and stuff like that. And it's just, I really hope that people can see this as an exercise to, to realize like, Hey, if you're really struggling right now, maybe you are living above your knee means. And if you aren't struggling, um, not only, uh, are you doing well, but like, how can you help some of these other people? So, I mean, that's, that's been another thing. I've had a couple of opportunities, uh, to go get some extra work and I'm okay. 
uh, not in our industry, just like random people that I know that do construction and stuff. And I've been trying to get every crew guy that I know that live in my area, uh, a job. So uh, that I know that's hurting. So, yeah. So thank you so much for all the time. I appreciate you, uh, making time to chat with me, chap. Uh, it's been great. Yeah, man, for sure. It's been awesome. Thank I, you so uh, much for having me on. The, uh, the silver lining for me is that I actually have time to reach out to all my good friends and all the people that I've been meaning to talk to for so long. I, I really appreciate you being able to reach out to your wife and say, Hey, I need to go talk to Chris for an hour or so. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, she, she's getting tired of me over two weeks, but, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think, I think she was cool with it. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me on. It's great. Sitting across the table from my wife the other day, she looks at me, she's like, I didn't realize how often you keep your mouth open when you're eating. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's like, hilarious. I guess we haven't been, I haven't been home that often lately. Apparently I need to relearn yes. how to close my mouth when I eat. It's the crazy. Little things all the... you start to realize when you're home Absolutely. for that long. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know, babe. I've been eating in a hotel room for the last six months. I nobody was there to tell me that I wasn't eating with my mouth open. So I will that's, be more aware of that. Thank you. That, that's definitely like the first thing when you come back off of the road and uh you like leave your towel on the floor and just like whatever. Uh <laughs> for like the three days in a row and next week, you know, you're like, man, why are all these towels still sitting? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I always man. got told that I didn't put the measuring cups back where there's, where they belong. I didn't oh, put yeah. the round lids next to the square lids like I'm supposed to. And there's all the little things you're like, Oh yeah, baby. One thing I will relearn the, that. One thing that drives me crazy is so my wife uh, takes care of our dogs, obviously when we're gone. But when I come home, like, it's immediately my responsibility. I don't know why it's like the unsaid thing, but what kills me is like, that is not the first thing on my mind when I come home. So like (laughs) the poor dogs are like, haven't eaten, you know, like in the day or so. And I'm like, man, why are the dogs just freaking out right now? And she's like, well, have you fed them? And I'm like, I haven't fed the dogs in three months. Why did I remember to feed them today? (laughs) (laughs) The production coordinator should be doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, so like I've always put it on my phone, like the day I come home, like on the first day of tour, the day I come home, I put in a reminder and to feed the dogs. Cause I don't know my wife (laughs) somehow just like will not feed the dogs when I'm home. (laughs) Babe, if you want me to feed the dogs, just put it in the master tour and I'll do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. It's like clockwork. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. Have a good one. See ya.